Wardcast episode 144, go! I'm Dylan Vento, and today I am joined by Phil Tibetoski, CEO of Young Horses. Hi, Phil. Hey, how's it going? Uh, it's going well through the magic of the internet and scheduling. I literally just did a previous recording with Amanda Hudgens from Unwinnable. Oh, cool. And and now I'm talking to you. That's a lot of work for one day. Yeah, but it, it kind of sorts itself pretty nicely because then I just have a bunch of them so I can just edit them beforehand and, and get them out the door. But how are you? How's Chicago? Chicago's good. Uh, today is pretty nice because it's been floating around 90 degrees out for the past, I don't know, I want to say four or five days. And today it was 70, so it's been nice. Uh, it's not very hot compared to a lot of places, but for, I don't know, Chicago is either usually very cold or very hot. Like our in-between, our like autumn and our spring are not very long. Uh, and then they kind of fluctuate. I, it was pretty, I was out there for a train jam and it was pretty temperate. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I can't remember what it was specifically, but I felt I wasn't dying on either, either end. So this was pretty pretty impromptu because uh, you were both admins in the Finji Discord mm-hmm. and uh, you brought in, uh, you were curious about getting some feedback for a talk you plan on giving at your alma mater, DePaul. Do you want to give the skinny on that a little bit? Yeah, so I mean, every once in a while, um, we either have the opportunity or, or asked to come and kind of talk about our experience with starting Young Horses and working on Octodad and Octodad Deadliest Catch. And generally you're not given a lot of time or maybe it's like maybe it's like a 30 minute quick thing um and so you can really only sit there and kind of run through the the paces of this is exactly what happened in chronological order and i'm only giving you the most important events and stuff like that and you're not given a ton of opportunity to give the context surrounding those events uh being able to explain like why this worked for us or why this didn't work for us or why that worked at that time and it might not work now, or uh, maybe it worked for our game, but it would not work for your game, uh, things like that. And it's hard to, as with any talk, it's hard to like figure out what exactly is relevant to a majority of your like audience and what isn't, what'll be helpful and what won't. And if you're giving any advice that actually could be harmful or, or lead people in a direction that you don't intend for them to go in mostly because you don't get the time usually to have the one-on-one conversation and get their full context of what they're actually trying to accomplish. You don't um, want that scene from Silicon Valley where you're just casually telling the cashier, it's like, yeah, it sounds like a great app idea. And they're like, I quit my job. <laughs> right. My parents are dumping 100000 into it. Or people just be like, oh, you know, fail fast, fail all, you know, as often as you can. And like, uh, I don't know, it's just, there's just like, weird soundbite advice stuff that people like to say. And I think they, it's not malicious. They believe they're helping, um, but left to their own devices without any real guidance. It's hard for, uh, for people to take that and run with it in any kind of helpful way. Um, And so with this talk, I was trying to, I'm trying to go through, um, the kind of general story of young horses, but also be able to stop at crucial moments 
or at least like turning points or when big events happened and be like, you know, for example, um, when we ran a Kickstarter, it was in 2010, uh, no, 2011, sorry, uh, July, 2011. And at the time, not that many games had run Kickstarter campaigns. It was just starting to become something really popular. Uh, we asked for like $20,000, which at the time was seen as a lot of money for a Kickstarter to raise for a game, even though it's not a reasonable amount of money to make a game with right, uh, right. budget-wise. And it's it like a third of a person's salary. Right. And, and the reason it worked for us, besides the fact that Octodad was something that had gotten press uh, and was kind of, there was buzz around it and stuff like that, was because Kickstarter was also new and you could get pressed to write about pretty much any Kickstarter campaign because it was novel um, and people were willing to give it a try because they didn't know or fully comprehend uh, kind of the downfalls of kickstarting a project like that. I feel like people still often don't understand that it's a gamble and that you're uh, you're a patron, you're doing something for the return of the of the game, but there's always a possibility that that project could just fall apart. Um, and it's not always communicated well that that is the case. But trying to talk about all of the stuff surrounding that uh, and then being able to say like, oh, these are the things we did to make our Kickstarter campaign successful it may not actually work or help you. Your game may not even be the type of game that you should kickstart. Maybe it's the type of game that should be in early access or, or, or whatever. Um, and I've seen in the past teams from DePaul or from other schools uh, who have looked at our success or, or things we've done and maybe not from us directly or maybe from other projects, gone and tried to do the same thing in the same way <laughs> at a, you know, years apart, uh, when maybe that's something that wouldn't work anymore. Uh, and I'm trying my best to, um, give people all the information that they may need to kind of evaluate advice or kind of like tips like that, um, to see if they are actually viable for them and not just something that is a story about something that happened. Um, you brought up you brought up an interesting point, uh, tidbit that I'm glad I, I saw because um, you kept you know, discussing it with people on the Discord about you know. So so this DePaul this 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 class or this program so it's it's game design game development focused correct? Yeah, it's a four year program um, where the students have kind of general education classes. They're like prereq stuff that you would take at any other uh, four-year college. And then um, kind of the other half of that is all uh, game development-related stuff. And you can either be in the kind of computer science programming uh, track of that, or you can do design and writing, or you can be in the, in the art school. Um, and then with us, specifically, our um, composer and sound effects, sound design person, came from the music school at DePaul. Um, and so, yeah, it's kind of that, that kind of program. And then at the end, you have a senior capstone like project that you spend about six months working on that's supposed to be a culmination of, 
of everything you learned and be a portfolio piece for you uh, to then go on and either get a job um, or I guess potentially start your own studio, which <laughs> that's another thing is, is as a result of us doing this and other um, smaller development studios kind of coming straight out of school with something and then following through with it uh, like Nitronic Rush. Uh, I don't know. There's a couple of games that have kind of done this. I've seen groups of students try and start studios before they have a game that is worth starting a studio for. Um, and I don't know if that's a result of seeing us being able to do it and not knowing everything that allowed us to get there or everything that we did to make it happen or if they are just unaware of kind of where their game sits within the ecosystem of other games and how it stacks up and how people see it versus other games because sure you can go and make whatever you want and if you're enjoying it and it's just a hobby that's cool it's awesome but if you're actually trying to start a business and people's lives and well-beings rely upon your ability to make that happen it's like an entirely different situation um and so it always worries me when i see people kind of jump in without any real awareness of of where they're at and what the consequences are and how difficult it actually is to go from that kind of student prototype to full featured game that you're going to release for money right I mean, there's there's the obvious stuff, right? Like, you know, your marketing and and communications and, you know, going to events, um, which obviously I don't think DePaul doesn't have classes on on those. I mean, they might have marketing stuff, but but yeah, they have some basic marketing stuff. But I feel like it's yeah. like the five P's of marketing. It's product place, <laughs> you know. Right. And, and it's hard because a lot of the times professors are um, developers who maybe ha aren't actively making games in that moment and game development in particular and business and games uh, evolves and changes so quickly um, that it's difficult to stay up to date on uh, what might be most relevant and most helpful um, to someone making a game now, let alone the fact that you have to kind of while making and announcing and working on and releasing a game, you have to be planning for what it will be like when it releases. Uh, and for us, that's, you know, a two or three year period of time. Um, so if you're already behind what is currently happening, and then you also, your students are having to plan for something that won't happen for years after, until years afterward, you're very behind. Um, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. I think, I definitely got a lot of basic skills and abilities from going there, but the most valuable things were the the social connections and the people I met. Well, I, and I think the valuable skill that you think is just that 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 you know that ephemeral thing, you know, it's that intuition, right? Yeah, it's like you you can't you can't teach intuition in general, and then especially with something as granular as games. So unless you kind of have your finger on the pulse and are, if you want to take it from the indie side that you have to wear the mini hats of, you know, designer, programmer, maybe, you know, right. business person, uh, artist, you know, self-promoter, social media manager, the, 
you might be just someone who only wants to make games and they're like, well, I don't, why, why should I be interested in knowing, having the knowledge to sell a game? Um, I had a, a recent discussion, I think just the other day, uh, because like I'm currently talking to, uh, uh, legal counsel, like a colleague of, of Ryan Morrison's about like just getting all my paperwork and everything squared away. And my colleagues are like, why, why do you need to bring someone in to make a contract for you? I'm like, well, uh, because that's that's part of this part of running a business. It's like, but yeah. you could just use Legal Zoom or something. And I'm like, mm. here's an article from Ryan Morrison saying exactly not to do that. And I feel like he's a pretty good authority on specifically <laughs> legal counsel in in video games. Right. You never want to leave that up to chance. Up to like, well, I think this will be fine. Like when it comes to your business and your livelihood and you know your ambition, why would you? do anything kind of halfway and be like, well, I don't know, maybe I'll just write this down on a piece of like loose leaf paper myself and it'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the thing is that, uh, you know, a lot of the people in this program, when I'm giving this talk, they may only be there for, you know, their specialty and they may only want a job within that track. And that's cool. That's fine. I totally get just wanting to make the game and not not deal with anything else. But if you're going to start a studio, you're running a business. Uh, and there's a ton of stuff that comes with that that you have to deal with that um, school, especially game development, like courses and classes don't always prepare you for because, and it, I mean, it's not like I'm saying like, go get an MBA or whatever. I don't think that's necessary either. Um, but you have to have the kind of drive to seek out that information yourself and learn this whole other set of, um, of skills. Um, we spent six months last year, or almost two years ago now, learning how to make our first actual full-time hire of just like, oh, we need like an employee handbook with all of our policies about um, vacations and insurance and, and all that kind of stuff. And we need all of our hiring paperwork to be in order and to make sense. We need to know what like a reasonable salary is for the person doing this job. Um, how do raises generally work with uh, inflation and um, experience and, and stuff like that? How often should we be doing like reviews of work and talking through you know, how, how they're doing at the company. Are they comfortable? Uh, are they, they need anything like those types of things. And that's stuff that never ever came up in the school and was stuff we had to investigate on our own. And it took a lot of time. And if you're not willing to invest the time in learning those things, um, or at least, uh, if no one on your team is willing to do that, then, you, you know, starting your own business may not be a great idea. I mean, especially like well, I remember when I took human resource management and it was like, also, here's all the things you can't ask during a job interview. <laughs> right. These are not legal at all. You can't ask them if they're pregnant. You can't ask them like these things that like uh, th they're free to tell you. Right. But th these are these are things that are obviously like they are they're illegal and, and you're not supposed to make a hiring decision based off those things also do you know what osha is do you right. know what hipaa is like do you know like these things that can come into effect um, do you know what you kind know? of insurance you need for different kind of levels of employee or you know because we hadn't had a real full-time employee up until that point because the rest of us were owners and when you're an owner it's not it's not quite the same 
Right. Um, was it, are you an LLC? Uh, we're a C corp. Okay. Yeah. We originally, that's a whole other, <laughs> like yeah. we, we had, uh, 18 people, uh, on the original Octodad team, um, on the student project and figuring out out of those 18, who was going to actually be in young horses or who even wanted to continue on a majority of, uh, kind of going from 18 to eight was a lot of people didn't want to take the risk um, of spending all of their free time on this thing and not knowing if it's going to work out, uh, not having health benefits or, or any of that stuff from the get go uh, that a normal job would give you most likely. And uh, the rest of us being like, we'll just figure it out as we, as we go. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we asked a lot of questions up front, but I don't know. That's there's just a lot to consider. That uh, if you haven't done your due diligence, isn't apparent at right. the get go. So for your trajectory, so the the Octodad, the original Octodad prototype, was out of that program. That was that was your senior project. Uh, when we started the Octodad project. It was for a extracurricular uh, kind of course, not really a course, I guess, but project called DePaul Game Experience, which was supposed to simulate kind of a studio atmosphere um, where they interviewed 50 students as if it was a job interview, uh, looking at the portfolios and resumes and stuff like that, and tried to pick... Um, a reasonable amount of students out of those who applied who they thought the, the professors who were advisors on the project thought would work well together and the whole point of it was to create a game and enter it into the independent games festival um just because of having that kind of hard deadline and having something to really work towards was helpful motivational you couldn't you know move the date or whatever and it wasn't just for a class you were putting something out into the world that people were going to see uh, and play. So it's, it's kind of started like that. I was in my junior year at the time. Um, and actually through Octodad kind of working out and being coming popular, uh, turned that turned alias catch into my senior project. I, I, I'd started a new game in my capstone and then realized that Octodad was becoming more of a serious thing. And then kind of talked to my advisors and professors and was like, can I just make like we formed a business and we're working on this? Can we make this my cap the rest of this my capstone because it's more important to me and I feel like I can't dedicate a bunch of time to this other game that's just a class project. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Trying to it's a that's another thing is the the route like we went to starting a studio is not is also not very normal. It's not very normal to do that straight out of school without any prior work experience. Um, yeah, I was going to bring this up earlier. It's like you said um, that like you you did the normal like, all right, I'm out of this program. I'm going to, you know, send my portfolio around and, you know, no no one got back to you. <laughs> yeah. So so was that like part of the reason she's like, all right, well, let's let's keep working on this because this, you know, has some traction. I mean, for the longest time, I've been like a lot of people who played games their whole lives i've always thought it would be cool to make them um maybe that's not like a lot of people but for me i'd always wanted to 
know how they were made and understand it and maybe do it someday. But until college, it was very much a like, I don't actually know anything about it. I just think about it. Um, and when I think it was my, towards the end of my junior year, I was looking at like internships and stuff like that. And I applied at like NetherRealm, who made Mortal Kombat. Uh, and a couple other places around here and I got some interviews and stuff, but I went in and this was as a, a programmer because I, in the program, I was actually in the computer science track and like I was a competent programmer, but I didn't love it. And I don't think I was like exceptional and, uh, I didn't get any of those, <laughs> those internships or jobs, uh, and ended up getting one at a company that does, um, advertisement technology kind of like the server back end of ad bidding mm -hmm. um, where Coca-Cola or whoever gives you like a million dollars and is like, find the best ad space for us based on us wanting to target these types of people. Uh, and then we would write the, the code on the back end that automatically bids on those spaces based on like the parameters they give us. And it, it wasn't very fun, but it paid the bills. I liked the people um, a lot there, but it still wasn't, you know, I wasn't making video games. I wasn't doing what I really wanted to do. Um, most of us were working jobs kind of not necessarily exactly like that, but some of us were programming for like slot machines and stuff like that um, while we were working at Young Horses on Octodad. Um, but yeah, I always thought that was funny because. I can never seem to get hired at an actual game studio. <laughs> I think about that sometimes still in the fact that like if this ever went under or didn't go well or something like what would I, where would I work? I've never worked for anyone in games. I mean, I would, I would argue, I think, you know, the, the Octodad might bring enough cachet to help you get something. I might be wrong. I don't know. I would, maybe I would assume. It's just weird because I don't like the stuff that I do is so, all over the place right um in terms of like yeah i was a programmer before but i haven't done that for years and now i've been doing like business and pr and some marketing stuff and some uh like qa stuff and some uh kind of release management certification work and also like helping keep the books and also uh you know like office manager type things and hr and hiring and just kind of all over and I feel like I'm like all kit. I'm pretty good at those things that I'm not an expert in any one area. And if I went to go like apply for a job that was specifically one of those things, I wouldn't, there's like a fear of like not knowing nearly as much as someone who's made that single job, their goal and like their purpose. I yeah. Guess. What, especially with the, with the, with the programming stuff. I'm, um, for me, it's like, you know, applying to, to, programming jobs for games it's like you know they treat it obviously a lot of that stuff's in you know san francisco bay area stuff but they just they treat it like it's 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 silicon valley kind of stuff it's like all right here's your whiteboard test etc right. etc like um you know and i don't have a i don't have a c plus plus background so uh you know i was taught i was taught java in school mm -hmm. um so yeah it's like it, it's super intimidating and um I think I think it's interesting. There's kind of an unspoken rule out of, you know, specialized programs like that. Like I remember someone talking to a professor at SCAD 
about like how do you how do you how do you let the people that aren't going to get in the career that they're studying for four years for and paying all this money for it's like how do you let them know that like only a fraction of the people in this program are going to get to that and i think the professor or the or the uh, department head was like you know it's like we're preparing them for for life and stuff you know some some spiel which is you know obviously there's some value in that i guess but like it's not what they they came to school to do um and yeah so like obviously i want to try to help you like solve the problem that that we're here that we've collected ourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but so, so obviously that that prompt that you showed me that the that the professor gave you, um, mm-hmm. that that's the the class that you're going to give the talk to. You know, it was kind of, you know, kind of generalized about like, hey, tell us about the, the studio and everything. And and there's right. obviously like you could do an itemized point. It was like, all right, well, first I did the program, then we did the Kickstarter, and then we did that. Um, and you mentioned in the discord about how you didn't want it, you didn't want to like crush their souls and be like, well, I did this thing, but that's probably not going to work for you. And right. then I did this thing and that was super risky and there's no way in hell it's going to work again. And I did this thing. Um, I mean, it's kind of like you said in that, like everybody in that program is not going to get a job one way or the other, uh, at least not in games and not immediately. Uh, there's a lot of people I know who worked kind of like adjacent to games maybe they did quality assurance for some software companies or something like that and had to like work at that for a long time before they got into the game space directly and then maybe they even realized like oh actually i don't want to do anything in games. Right. i don't want to work these hours there. right uh and so i guess just like attempting to provide them with a realistic point of view in terms of Listen, like maybe forty percent of y'all at the best are gonna be getting a job right out of school, and then who knows how many of those people are actually getting a job in games, depending on like where you live, where you move, what you're willing to do. Uh because it's a very like appealing idea to work on video games for a lot of people, but there aren't nearly as many jobs as there are people wanting them. And also games is like notoriously or at least uh traditionally difficult to like keep a position because a lot of the jobs are contract positions where you have a job for six months and then who knows um and so trying to communicate that to people while still encouraging them to kind of follow whatever it is they want to do is difficult especially if you know it's it's public education in general is difficult in just that you can't have every student who goes through a program know exactly what they need to know and have a completely realistic view of life just because of the fact that schools are generally overpaid teachers are underpaid and you can't, you know, perfectly help everyone, but I don't know where I'm kind of going with that. It's just difficult because like, there's so many big systemic problems that surround this stuff that you can't as one person, at least directly change. And you see it a lot of the times, or at least I have seen, um, cause we've every year since we've graduated, which I graduated in 2012, 
um, we usually go back to these kind of capstone showcases and look at students' games, talk to them about them, like what we think, what we think they could do better, blah, 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 what would look good on a resume, like what we look for when we do hiring. Um, and there are still people who get to that senior year and they just have completely like, they're just oblivious to what either they're on, on out of like fear, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like where you, you get to a certain point. Uh, I was even worried, like towards my junior year, I was like, Oh wait, I haven't really done. I feel like I haven't done anything of value that would get me a job. And then feeling like you're halfway through school and then you realize that and then that's like a very scary idea um it's easy to want to just like kind of push that off and keep acting like it's not a problem Mm -hmm. and so you run into students who who do that um whether consciously or subconsciously and they're seniors and it's like well shit what do i tell this person um kind of like you mentioned um with that professor not really knowing outside of saying like well you know they had an experience um, right <laughs> well i think i feel like partially and this is also kind of buzzwordy but i i don't know i, I take it kind of the heart i feel like the passion the passion ap- ap- appeal is kind of an important thing there right because i remember when i was doing um so i did cs and i also did business management uh, mm-hmm. and i remember we did we had our our senior capstone for business and it was a an entrepreneurial track and you know you look around and it's like okay some some of these people are doing it for a grade some of these people want to be you know they want to do the silicon valley thing and do the buzzwordy mm-hmm. whatever whatever right um and then there's like a handful maybe like two or three that are like here because oh no they really care about the field they're in they really yeah. care about the product um there is one guy in my senior class he did a online uh surfboard rental um and purchase store mm-hmm. and i mean this guy i mean he was like bro like the most stereotypical <laughs> surfer it. bro yeah, yeah like he he was obviously into it even though we're like two hours away from the ocean um <laughs> yeah but you could see it there that he really cared yeah that yeah. he wanted he wanted to do that and like for me a lot of the times it's like all right start with that because there's going to be points where you're going to hate what you're doing yeah whether whether you're in a triple a studio you know or you're you're trying to do it on your own and you're gonna question yourself all the time especially if you're trying to go indie and the 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 value there is like do i do i want to put myself through the stress you know and also not having a lot of free time because i'm just working on this project um and then also on top of that like if I'm trying to do this to be financially stable slash successful, like am I willing to put in the effort to go out and learn the things I didn't know to apply it to, to, to try this, to make this more than it is. So I like, I have, I have colleagues that, um, you know, I have one who's been doing, um, he's been going around doing pitches for publishers. He's actually gotten pretty far in conversation with a lot of them. And then ultimately they're like, we're past, I think we're going to pass. And, you know, and obviously that's, that's very uh, disillusioning and devastating, but it's also kind of like, you need to understand the perspective of like, you you can never be like, I'm going to make a game and it's going to get published. And like, and this is, and this is the, the bullet point. Like this is the, 
these are the tasks that I'm going to do to get published. It's like, all right, okay, let's pretend that's plan A. What's plan B? And then after that was plan C, D, E, F, and G. Like, what 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 are all the contingencies to, oh, I didn't p- get a publisher. Okay, I'm going to self-publish. And it's like, maybe cut the scope down or something. And I have to work my full-time job or whatever. It's like, it's going to sell X number of units. Okay, well, if it doesn't sell, what if it only sells like a tenth of that? I was like, all right, what's your contingency there? And, the, you know, at the bottom of all that, the contingency just has to be like, are you happy after doing all this work? Right, and Beca- all of it going wrong. Right. Yeah. Like, even at the end of the day, even if we only sell 10 copies or whatever, are you still satisfied? Or was your only point in doing all this was to sell the copies and make the money or get the publisher deal or whatever? Because if you're starting from, you know, the top down instead of the bottom up, you're going to be disappointed. So that's why I always go to, like, the passion statement, right? Um, which can sound very like, ooh, you just got to be passionate about the work. And Well, I mean, I think it... I think you're right in that it made me think of the fact that you can't really help somebody if they don't want to help themselves, if they don't want to do it, if they don't have the the kind of drive to make it happen, um, or if they just you know realize that that's not for them and that's fine. Um, because I've worked with people who, after three or four months of doing what we were doing, were like, "Oh wait, actually, I hate this. Uh, this is not the kind of like life I want to live," and that's fine. And I'm you know glad that they found out sooner than later. Um, but I think uh, that's definitely part of it that I, I sometimes forget that you can't really, you know, help everybody if they're not, if they're not actually wanting to be there to learn yeah, how to help themselves. They have to bring something to the table, right? Yeah. Like an interest or inner drive. I think part of the problem there, what you've kind of alluded to is that like, you don't know what everyone's interest is might be like in the in the classroom like you don't know if like oh all these people want to do triple a or oh, all these people want to go indie or whatever so it's right. like hard because obviously you have a you have a lot of experience and things to talk about from the indie side but if someone's like i want to go work at you know iron galaxy and you're like well okay right. well i don't i've never worked for them so i mean i can I'm, i can kind of be like you know this is what we look for in a portfolio and from what i know of talking to people at bigger studios this is what they look for but I have no direct uh, applicable knowledge mm-hmm. from experience. Dave Lang's a really nice guy, so right. you know, have fun with that. <laughs> yeah, like I, I know a lot of people work there. They're awesome. I'm sure you'll like working with them if you get the job, but otherwise, I don't know what to tell you. Um, so, so yeah. yeah, so it's difficult, especially if they're if the class is split with the two different interests. Right. Well, I mean, I imagine a lot of them. I don't know, actually, I guess I don't know what the general, like, space is like now. What is more coveted being working at a big studio on a huge game or doing your own thing? Um, because I started wanting to work at a place like Bungie just because I loved everything they did growing up, still do, and but then <laughs> realized that, like, in every job I've ever had, I really disliked how the person or the company or whatever ran their business and treated their people. And, you know, the amount of actual input I had on making decisions that were felt important to me and stuff like that. And a lot of that. And just hearing horror stories about studios getting shut down from bad investments from publishers or, uh, you know, stuff that's left out of your control and not wanting to be put in a situation in which 
uh, it's my mistakes are not because of my own choices. Basically, I'm okay with a mistake if it's my fault, if I did the things that got me there. But otherwise, it's a whole other story. But if you lost your job because, you know, the, the leads made a bad bet. Right. Yeah. And that led me down this path. And there there are more like stable uh, employers like, you know, like Shell Games and like Pittsburgh is like obviously like they have they have the games that they're working on. But then they also have like huge like educational initiatives like and they have client work that they do to, to right. help maintain them. Yeah. Yeah. There are a lot of studios that do that. They'll do steady streams of contract work and then they'll do their their own in-house stuff uh, when they have, you know, the, the budget for it. It's weird though, because like, there's no, there's no relationship between like, Oh, how risky the position is and like how much, how skillful you as like a first time employee have to be. So it's not like, Oh, this studio is really risky. Like they might not be around in five years, but they still need the same, you know, level of competency and skills as like a very trusted and competent and skillful thing right and it's not always the case that you would be paid that way either right yeah i'm trying to think i think i think the creative control statement is really important because i feel like you know for me that is something i value a lot like especially you know with games obviously like i'm trying to do my own thing instead of like looking for a studio job but also like my full-time job is is web dev but i am the sole developer in a in a company that's like 90 auditors so i basically call every design programming you know what tools are we using oh i'm gonna make that decision and you know and i just kind of stumbled into that role uh so it's kind of like i think talking about that would be useful it's like okay well if you if you want if you want your own control and you want to help and you want to call the shots uh nd might be the better path for you otherwise you're going to be in the studio environment and it's going to take a long time a long 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 time for you to before, be in that position right to, before you're a lead of of some project right and i think that's a good angle in terms of saying like here's uh as i see it what are like the the pros of of going this independent route but here's also the like mountain of baggage that comes along with that and all the things that you kind of have to handle that would otherwise be handled by someone else who that was their whole job. Right. I think um, the, the pros and cons thing is very important because in, I, you mentioned before, it's like you're worried you don't want to be totally negative and disillusion these people. It's like, well, God, like right. all these stressors that happened that we overcame. Yeah. And then, and then there's the whole thing of like, are you a type of person who is self-motivated and will push themselves to do something because you know you want it to happen or do you need someone to kind of yell at you once in a while and be like hey remember what you were supposed to be working on or like what's important or or whatever not to say that like i am entirely perfectly focused always or whatever obviously everyone has their like days or weeks where they're just like i don't want to do anything i don't you know um but in general i kick my own ass to get things done and some people just don't have that kind of intrinsic like motivation um, to make that happen. And that's fine, but they probably shouldn't be trying to run their own business. And for me, it's it's very much like if I have someone there like in the trenches for me, I'm much better at, at, at do, putting the work in, right? Whether it's yeah. like exercising, like if I have an exercise buddy, I'm much better about going to the gym. Um, with games, you know, I started working uh, with people at the beginning and it made me like very focused on doing it and then people would drop 
drop off and be less interested. Right. And but I still had that. It was almost like this kind of like I had to gear up, right? Like once I there's a huge wheel I couldn't spin myself, but once I got the help with some other people to spin the smaller one to get that one moving, it it was just going to keep rolling. So some people might do better on like a, if they want to do indie working on a smaller team but then like comes in the conversation it's like all right like do you know how to pick the people you're going to work with your business partners your teammates yeah. like that's that's kind of a big thing like especially if like up front it's like oh we don't need any like contracts or anything it's like you know i trust them like that like very easily spiral into something right. you don't want big mistake i yeah and that's an entirely that's why this these types of talks to me always feel uh inadequate in like size and scope in what you're able to talk about or get done because there's so much to cover, especially if it's about starting your own, your own thing, because not only do you have to be able to have the, the technical ability and like the creative chops to make the thing um, and make something that, which is a problem that like every studio has being able to make something that people will want. Um, because ultimately, if you're starting a studio and you're running a business, you want to be able to stay open as a business. Uh, so not only do you need to do that, but then you also have to be have some ability or ability to learn how to work with people who are conducive to that and to who you want to be around all the time. And that doesn't always equate to the people you're the best friends with. Um, it's rare that it does. It's rare that like, you know, you work with your friends and that relationship is great on both, both sides. Um, and that's another weird thing that I feel like just worked out for us. Um, that I don't think always does. Um, and it's like, are you going to be willing to make those calls where like this person may be your friend, but like they're not getting anything done. And not only are they not getting anything done or not doing something well, but also other people are having other people who have jobs that are also important have to then fix their mistakes. You have to pick up uh, the slack. Yeah. Right. Which slows down everyone. Um, and those are difficult decisions to make. And it's like, are you the kind of person who is able to do that? Um, or, or will you kind of crumble and not want to address it? Um, or at least will you be, aware enough to find someone on the team or outside of the team who could help you address it or, or whatever. You, you need your, you need your HR person or right. whoever wants, who's a HR manager at heart. You need a people uh, person yeah. who cares about the people at the studio and wants them to do well uh, and get along. Yeah. Yeah. And it, like that, that conversation is, is super hard of like, Hey, um, I don't think this is working out. Like, right. especially if it's like, Hey, I've been, I want to keep working on this, but I feel like you're not pulling your weight or you're not contributing. So yeah. I don't want you to keep working on it. Right. Or, or even if it's like the starting conversations of being like, Hey, I've noticed lately that like you haven't been coming in or, or whatever. Um, or you haven't been putting as many hours in as you were before. Is like something going on that you want to talk about or that I should know about so that I can kind of register it as like, Oh, well that makes sense as to why they aren't here right now or whatever. Um, and then how do you kind of move that conversation on if it needs to continue and at what point is it a cutoff, uh, and a hard stop in which 
or are you going to continue kind of working on it with them or, or whatever? And so just being able to, or finding the right people, depending on the size of games you want to make, uh, or the game you're working on or, or whatever, finding people who have the ability to do it. <laughs> also, uh, the motivation to do it and also all of the kind of skill sets you need that are outside of just making the game to make the business run. And then also you get along and also like, there's just all these things that add up that make it improbable that a group of people who made this like student project are going to be able to stick it through that until it is a commercial release. Um, Interesting way to tackle it um, in terms of your talk might be you give the talk of like, if I were starting over with the knowledge I have now, um, and this is kind of like a, a common tactic yeah. or trope for talk, but it's like, what, what would, what do I want day one at the studio? Is the employee handbook something I would have had immediately if that's something I wanted? Would, you know, would I want all the contracts done first thing because that stuff you could talk about it's like all right here's a framework um that has nothing to do with the level of success of your game or or anything like that it's like what knowledge you know what does the house look like that i want to live in and, and make this game um, right that might be an, an interesting way to tackle it because it, it lets people prepare be like oh i know that or be like i don't know that maybe i should go try and figure <laughs> out how to know that yeah yeah that's true it, and it I don't know. It's difficult because I feel like everyone's going to have a different um, threshold at which they think it's worth trying to start their own studio for something, depending on what their goals are. That's a whole that's a other thing on top of getting along, being able to do the job, having the people who have the skill sets is um, do you all hold like the kind of same ideals of what you want the company to be, what kind of things you want to make to have you like defined those things and said them out loud, written them down and agreed upon it. Um, is one person just kind of tagging along, even if they don't agree and not saying it like you don't know, um, sussing all that kind of stuff out is important because you don't want someone to, like any like any relationship you want to have that stuff kind of out in the open as possible and you don't want someone agreeing with it currently but thinking like oh but i actually want all these other things but i think i could get there over time even though that's not currently <laughs> anyone else's goal or anyone else's belief of what will happen it's easy to be like well i can make them understand or like make people want to do this thing, even though it's not something we explicitly agreed upon. Um, because we wrote out a like company mission and, and stuff like that. Um, well before we released deadliest catch was the form of that mission statement. Just like, this is the kind of games we want to make, et cetera, et cetera, like company culture or like, stipulations of like, this is how we expect people to work and perform. If your contract, it's, you know, you work this often or for this many hours or whatever. It was mostly company culture and the kind of games we wanted to make. Um, it was mostly saying that we want to make like quirky, weird games that 
have like heart and charm to them that are that are they're just like it's appealing to a very broad audience despite um being something that actually is pretty odd like we try to make games in which adults and kids could both enjoy them both get something out of them hopefully be able to play them together um but it's not from a place of like we want to make kid games either um and then trying to say like also we want to have this work-life balance where people feel like they're able to explore any interests they have outside of work or within the field um be able to learn on the job and not have to worry about you know someone walking over and being like oh what are you doing uh like is this relevant to what we're doing right now is this important blah 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 um being able to know that everyone trusts that, hey, even though you're like over there watching YouTube videos for the next hour, like it's okay because I understand that you're going to get what you need to get done done, anyways. Um, so try we tried to kind of outline a lot of that stuff, um, that we would never crunch, we would never uh, have that kind of atmosphere where just because one person is staying because they want to work on something doesn't mean everyone else has to stay and support them in some weird way. Uh, because you know, a lot of times it's like 5 PM and like, someone's like, Oh, I'm going to stay here for, I'm just like, go home. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Go home and do something else. Uh, I'll be here tomorrow. Right. Like the only case in which we like work extra hours is if it's like two weeks before release and like we're rushing on stuff, but it's never an extended period of time and it's never any more than maybe like 60 hours in a week at most. And that's like happened once. So like outlining those things of like how you want people to work and how, uh, you want those interactions to work out, I think is pretty important. Um, and it seems like very early on, it seems very ethereal and like weird because you have barely started and don't know how those things are actually going to work out. Especially um, if you're coming out of school it's like, Oh, I might've never held a full-time job before. It's like, oh, I don't know what like healthy work working hours are. Right. And how am I even supposed to know? Like you don't know who's going to get married or have kids or, or whatever. Uh, and that you should be planning for those types of things to happen potentially. Um, or like, how do you make things kind of fair for people who like, that's maybe that's not their, the lifestyle they want to lead. Uh, but they should all still be getting kind of like a similar set of, of benefits in terms of like, Oh, there's paternity and maternity leave, but maybe also we have like sabbatical type leave for people who don't want kids, but still should get that an equal amount of time. You know what I mean? Um, there's just so much to consider and make sure that everyone agrees upon having those bylaws and those, you know, and then also just like anytime there's a financial decision, like who should be in on that decision and who gets to vote and how many people are on the board and all those like more, uh, pragmatic things, but that end up affecting things that aren't quite as logical that are more interpersonal, I guess. Yeah. And all that stuff's super important, um, for, especially for the indie side, uh it's funny though when you mention that it's like oh i have to make these bylaws and these in this mission that can appeal to many different people and their different pursuits sounds very similar to this talk you have to give it has to appeal to many different people and their different pursuits or career interests well because 
I, I guess you can put it under the umbrella of like, I want everyone to be able to grow in the directions they want to grow while continuing to make things together. But then you actually have to sit down and work out the details of how each of those individual things works. Um, so ideally I'd be able to just, I'd have the time to sit down for like an hour with each person and be like, well, what are your goals? What are you planning on doing? What do you want? Maybe they don't even know. And you have to sit down and help them figure that out. But that's not very realistic uh, in terms of anyone's time. Um, and so it's kind of how do I hit the big points, I guess, that at least will push people towards other people who can help them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I want to also illustrate in this how often we consulted other developers and other s- small studios. Um, and how generally open and willing those studios are to answer those types of questions, no matter who you are, if you're starting or um, if you're in the middle of it or, or whatever. If you're running a video game podcast <laughs> right, about right. indie dev. Because like we've, we still frequently ask uh, people who we admire, like, hey, we're thinking about doing something that's feels a little bit similar to something you've done in the past, or maybe you've done this exact thing in the past. Like, how did that go for you? Why was it good or why was it bad? Or why, like, um, what did you come across while doing it that was unexpected or that you uh, fumbled on for whatever reason? And, you know, what we should look out for. Um, And that was something that we did frequently from start till now and continue to do. so I, th- I guess there's something that there should be something in there about just like knowing when and how to look for help um, and how to, and how to even take that help and then evaluate it. Like, because people will give you advice, but they may not give you something that is directly applicable, applicable or that you should actually even follow through with. Cause someone could say something to you and suggest something but then you have to stop and be like, well, what is their situation? Why did they make that decision? Why are they telling me this? Do they just hate this person who they're telling me not to work with for this reason? Or is it this reason? Um, there's a whole like analyzing the person you're talking to in a weird, uncomfortable way, trying to understand like uh, if the reasons that they made the decisions meet up with the reason you might take that advice and follow through doing the same thing, or if you're going to take part of what they told you and kind of get rid of the rest of it because you don't think that's true or you don't think it's, it makes sense for you. Well, it goes back to that intuition thing, right? That I mentioned earlier. It's like how, how well are you at intuiting people's, you know, their, their intent and then also the greater market and how, how this might affect you financially. Like, are you, are you good at predicting where the wind's going to blow when it comes to, you know, games? Which I think is just a lot of paying attention to that sort of thing. Like, I had a, I told you I had a talk at a, like an Xbox event mm-hmm. that was an idea Xbox one. Yeah, that was entirely about like examining why things are successful and why are they or why they failed, and then why uh, advice someone who's in that position gave you may or may not be applicable. And one of the slides, I just had a bunch of questions related to like why something is successful and examining that in terms of like when it was released, where it was released, what kind of relationship they 
that developer had with the publisher or the platform, how long it took to build that relationship, how long they actually worked on that game from inception to release and past there, like what the climate of the industry was during that time when they started, were working on it and released and after released, uh, like what other games were popular during that time, what had yet to be done, how many people worked on the project, uh, what their personal lives were like, were they full-time, part-time, were they doing this on the weekends? Um, uh, did they have the means to support themselves? Were they living off savings? Did they have investors? What were their backup plans? Did they even have backup plans? Like, what emerging technologies or platform changes did they take advantage of? Uh, like a console release, which like our success on PS4 was partially because it was a console release, and they didn't have uh, a ton of bigger games when the console came out, but they did have a lot of smaller games like ours which gave us more space on the store and more ability to be seen by people who would be interested and buy the game, but maybe otherwise would have never even known it existed. Um, like, did they have mentors? What kind of legwork was involved? How much proof did they have that, uh, and what like social reputation had they built previous to their release that helped them in their release? Is this like uh, five point font on this, on this slide? It's huge. Like, <laughs> What were the team's strengths uh, of the people on it? Like, did they play to them? Did they do something entirely different from what they'd done before? Uh, and I was just trying to say that, like, success isn't replicable. Looking at, like, a few key points and then trying to put those back together yourself with your game. And sometimes people's advice is in no way helpful or applicable to what you're doing. And it's... Um, and people people are transparent about that stuff. I mean, the indie studios are very transparent about that stuff. I mean, obviously right. there's there's post forums and stuff like that. It's just it's in it's just scattershot, right? Yeah. It's like there's there's no coalescence of that stuff. There was an interesting um research paper done, I think it was partially by some internal Microsoft research lab and then some university, but they did a uh, a stratification of like eighty Gamma Sutra postmortems. Mm-hmm. So, so they are all publicly available, but they just took them and then they just charted them all, right? And they had all these different categories of like, all right, what went well during the project? What didn't go well during the project? And I think the highest ranking one in terms of what went well was like game design, right? Because like that's something you obviously focus on when you're trying right. to make a game. It's like you're focusing on the product. Um, I think the the biggest challenge that hurt all these studios was just unforeseen obstacles, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, our lead programmer got sick for you know they got mono or something so that put us back or you know stuff right. like that where you don't have contingencies for you don't have a uh you're not dispersing knowledge so there's not just one key point of failure where it's like oh if, if dave doesn't come in this week can't work <laughs> on the game right and then everyone else is stuck doing nothing and yeah preparing for everything that could possibly go wrong uh and maybe things that are, are not even realities like yet like I mentioned, like, oh, well, maybe nobody's married right now or whatever, but what if they do get married and then they get divorced and are they a shareholder and, like, is now their part, ex-partner, like, an owner of those things, of that those shares and what kind of protections or things do you have in place to, like, handle that? Like, are you going to buy them out? Like, how is that going to work? Uh, <laughs> that it's hard to prepare for if you've, if you've never owned a business before or if you don't, if you're not... Um, doing what you should be doing and contacting a lawyer and being like, this is our situation. Uh, we need help with everything. Basically. I need, <laughs> need, a, I need, a, I need a prenup. I need a prenup for young horses. 
but it's hard because I think I was part of the problem for a little while in that when people would talk to me about, uh, or we would talk to people about what we had done, it's, it's very easy to pass off your work as being only luck or like only like, well, I don't know. We didn't know what we were doing. We just kind of stumble along and figure it out, which is how it feels to me, but is not the reality of what we've done. Uh, in terms of like, when we go to make a decision, uh, about like what game to make or what platform to release on first or whatever, there are like hundreds of questions that get asked internally that we then all are either have a pre-existing knowledge of or do a bunch of research on or, you know, questions come from questions, come from questions uh, before we come to a decision on that thing. It's not like someone just goes, oh, I don't know, just do this or whatever. Um, and I think for a long time I didn't remember that or like it didn't register as something I should actually mention of like, oh, actually, when we did this, we looked at 30 other games that we thought were competitors when they were releasing, how much they were. Uh, going to be sold for um if our audience we thought our audiences overlapped a lot or a little bit or if we were you know competing for like oh these two games are coming out on this week one is expensive and high production value one is not expensive and still high production value like where's that person's money going to go are they the kind of person who would buy both of those games and have the revenue or the the income to afford to buy multiple games in one week, or are they still going to do that? Like, I don't know. There's just so many things that we considered uh, and looked at so many data points in terms of how other games in similar situations sold. And then you're still at best. It's just like an estimate based yeah. on that data. It's not guarantee. It's, right. Because it's, you know, it's unlikely that you're going to come upon data points that are so similar to yours and in a, such a similar context in terms of the time and what the industry is like and what is piquing players' interests and stuff like that, that it's going to be a sure thing. And if it is, if it is that close, it's likely that you're in direct competition and that person's going to be taking a majority. Like You don't want to be that, really you don't want to be in the position to where like, Oh, there's like 40 other games that are just like this and are coming out around the same time and are of the same quality level relatively. And like at that point, that's when I would be like, Oh shit. Like <laughs> we, we really screwed up somewhere. So what um, I'm hearing is there's no Octodad battle Royale being announced <laughs> no, anytime soon. No, there's not, not yet. Oh, um, hmm. You gotta wait till the till the genre dies off, then comes right. back. That's another thing is like, do you want your studio to make a new game every time, or if you have a hit, are you going to like ride that wave the best you can? And both are totally viable options, but like, are the people working there going to be happy with one more so than the other? Um, even if one is more risky. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a lot to consider. Um, I hope. Uh... <laughs> I helped coalesce some of that stuff. Um, yeah. Or at least talking out loud with it. What do you think? I think it definitely made me think about some stuff that I hadn't and at the least 
kind of calmed some worries of my own that I, through anxiety, just get like riled up about like, oh, what am I going to do? Like all these people uh, are relying on me to tell them something like helpful. Uh, and even then, that's like a weird, I don't know if it's like narcissistic, but like, you know, ultimately, like I remember what it was like going to some of these things and it wasn't really that big of a deal. Right. It's like, oh, there's a speaker here. Like, there's a speaker here. Like, maybe I'll take something away from it, but ultimately it's Friday and I want to yeah. go home and play this game or go out and do whatever. Yeah. Um, so it's, I feel like I overhype kind of stuff in my head as being more important than it is, but then feel like I should consider it that important just in case there's the one person who is like really hanging on yeah. every word, you know? And might take it, take it to heart. Right. I agree. Yeah, definitely. And and you always want to help out um, people that are looking to, to do this as well. I always have a hard time meeting that middle ground between like caring about something more than anything and not caring at all. <laughs> I, I'm very much one or the other usually, uh, which leads to a lot of like weird over overthinking. No, I think it's important. I think uh, talking out loud about it is, I think this is a very interesting conversation. And when, when people listen to it, I hope they're like, Oh, it's like, I didn't, I didn't consider that. Like you very openly express doubts and fears of both how you felt back then and then how you feel currently. And yeah. I hope people don't like, well, this, this yeah, young horses, that's going to close down tomorrow. Sounds like, or like <laughs> this, this whole indie dev thing sounds like it's dead. Well, that's the thing is that like we could like right now young horses is completely fine and we're fine for at least the next couple years uh like no problems and we're very like fortunate in that fact but um our next game could easily be our last because video games are awful <laughs> I, I don't know like because it's a very you know unpredictable industry since it's entertainment I guess nothing's really steady or permanent, but that's a whole other conversation. But it's just, uh, I don't know. There's something about that, though, that, I mean, obviously we're drawn towards it and we're not entirely drawn towards it because, oh, we want to we wanna make money at this and we're not entirely right. drawn towards it because, you know, oh, I played games my entire life and so I want to be in that sphere. It's just weird. Once you step into the, the, the forbidden knowledge, right, of like, yeah. oh, this is how it really is, like on the back end, <laughs> Right. And you're like, well, like my view of this industry is irrevocably changed. I'm never going to be super ignorant and never going to be like, oh boy, can't wait for the next Halo. But up, up. Right. And sometimes I wish I could do that just for like a week or something. Yeah. Just be like completely unaware. Because it's, it's definitely apparent when I play games online with like friends who are just in nowhere near the industry at all. Uh, and there's like the things that they'll say about games or developers or whatever. I'm just like, <laughs> I hear the PlayStation 6 is coming out next week. <laughs> right. Right. Or just like, oh, well, I bet they didn't do this because they hate us or didn't want to or whatever. It's like, no, it's pretty unlikely that they like worked their full-time job uh, that pays for their whole life and they were like, eh, whatever, fuck the person who bought this game. Like, you know, they always want it to be the best that it, that they can make it. There's I, very rare that you get someone I don't think I've ever encountered someone who's like, I don't care. I'm going to make this bad. Like, because I just want them to buy this and leave me alone or, or whatever. 
Right. It's it, those very rare cases. It's usually like Unity asset store flips, or right. what was that one game that was like early access or something, or it was like a full purchase and like the ending just wasn't there. Like you just walk through a hallway or through a door and the and game just nothing. stopped. Yeah, it just literally stopped. But like, it's just always interesting hearing that from people when they're talking about like these huge games with huge budgets. Yes. Where obviously they have large teams of people who really care and want it to be great for the person on the other end. Uh, and I think that goes back to not really understanding that there are people there. Like they know there are people there, but they don't think about it that way when they're talking about it. Uh, it's especially weird when it's a when it's a game or a studio where I do know people there. <laughs> and you just straight straight up like, yeah, no, they don't like you. Yeah, yeah they absolutely hate you. Like, no. Well, Phil, um, I think that might be a good place to stop. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah, um, I I hope I helped. I think at the least you got me like warmed up and feeling like I could confidently go up there and talk about things. I haven't done a talk talk in a while um, just because we've been in the trenches working on this new game for so long now and not as much out in the public doing talks or going to shows or whatever. Um, So I feel like we ramped down from Octodad stuff and it was hard to switch back to like not being at every event, not doing everything all the time. Right. And then... I went into essentially like a hibernation from being out in the world feels like, or at least just being in normal everyday life. And now it feels like I'm having to like psych myself up and ramp back up into being that like public face persona version of myself. So this was helpful in multiple ways. Well, I'm glad. Um, And I really enjoyed talking to you. Um, It's always good to get another uh, perspective in this industry, especially concerning indie dev, and especially concerning you know someone who is doing very well. Now, I'm glad Octodad did well and continues to do well, and it is somehow still selling, uh, <laughs> which is very weird, given that it released more than four years ago. Yeah, I was I was thinking about it like right before we started, or yesterday. I was like, it's been a while since Octodad came out. So what mm-hmm. was they working on? So. I mean, we re- we released on Switch back in November, but people don't think of that as like you know a significant thing, even though it was work. But did you do that internally, or is that a porting house, or it was internal? Um, yeah, we're pretty nervous about announcing this new thing. Um, well, I, I'm excited, <laughs> <laughs> excited and nervous at the same at the same time. Like I I want to be back out there talking about something that's brand new that I'm still super excited about because I love Octodad but also talked about it for like six to seven years and after a while you're just like yeah you're like it's great <laughs> I have other uh, ideas like, would you right would you like to hear them pretty much well Phil uh where can people find you uh you can follow me personally on Twitter at your own risk uh at p-t-i-b-z p-tibs um or you can follow young horses uh on Twitter or you can follow Octodad Game on Twitter. Uh, and then you can also find us uh, at Young Horses Games on Facebook and Octodad Game on Facebook. Um, and then hopefully soon 
at some other places. Ooh. Mysterious. I like it. Yeah. Oh, and also you can buy the game directly at auctionedgame.com. And then also, if you enjoyed listening to Phil and I talk, uh, I have a bunch of other interviews on the backlog uh, that you can you can listen to. Mike Bithel, Mike Rose, Jay Tholin, uh, Becca Saltzman. The Bithel one was really good. Oh, did you like it? Yeah, yeah. And I'm glad. I, I was like jealous of, he's such a good, like, personable human being. And him, like, going on and being like, oh, it's like, this is episode number, like, 133, I think, or something like that. And he's like, oh, wow, it's, you've done a lot of these. Like, good on you, man. Like, <laughs> like, God damn it, Mike, you're so, like, charming. <laughs> Tone it down. Right? Yeah, but uh, I think it, that some of the stuff he said was especially valuable concerning our talk, just because he talks very much about how, it's like, people ask me for advice, and I'm like, uh, <laughs> did, did go back in time and make Thomas was alone? I, I, right. I don't know. Well, that's the other thing about this, was just the fact that, like, the game we made is, a, on in and of itself, a super outlier, unlikely event, like, situation. So trying to like convince people that this is not this is not how it goes for most people um, is a whole other thing. I am curious how like other games of of that uh, sort. I was I was telling someone I was like, yeah, I'm going to talk to Phil. Uh, he made Octodad, and they're like, what's that like? And I'm like, uh, have you played I Am Bread? <laughs> like, yeah. No. Why? <laughs> I, I don't. Or, or like Surgeon Sim or Goat Sim to some extent. Just like this like quop like Fumble Core as it has been coined Bumblecore, the the bennett foddy genre of game yeah and then we took it and slapped a, a story and purpose on it yeah i also think of um was it mount your friends mm, yeah, yeah yeah but i'm curious like how say like mount your friends 3d or uh um i am bread has done compared to your games like right you you'd, you'd like to say it's like all right this is one and done like this is kind of like I don't know if you can spin a whole whole genre out of this, but you know, there's a, f- a few key games. Yeah, there's been a with our new game. It's been interesting attempting to. The whole purpose of the studio was to make something entirely new every time if we were afforded the opportunity to do so, and trying to do something entirely new, but also still lean into what we were good at at the same time and incorporate that kind of stuff in some way is interesting. And then there's like whole. There could be a whole episode about like sophomore effort, yes, anxiety. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe we'll have you on again. Yeah, anytime. Cool. Um, but yeah, if you want to listen to any of our other episodes, uh, they're all on our website at ward-games.com. Uh, they're also all on the Twitters at Ward Video Games, or just search Wardcast on in your podcast player of choice. Phil, thank you so much. Thank you. Maybe pointing some of the DePaul students towards this podcast will help them maybe figure some stuff out because I feel like I've had a lot of people on kind of similar situations. Uh, Jay Tholen, who did Dropsy the Clown, has a lot of... Uh, talked very similarly about the stuff he went through. It was like, yeah, I did the... I, you know, was kind of you know living at home for a while and then I did the Kickstarter thing and that did well and then Devolver just out of nowhere kind of contacted me and... Yeah. So there's a, there's, there's a lot of great folks that have kind of are, are, are still figuring it out same as any of us yeah i actually think one of the better things people could do if they were starting out of a school now is looking at previous um independent games festival finalists for the student category mm-hmm. and like seeing which of those games actually went on to 
being like fully released commercial things. Yeah. Uh, and then like talking or finding interviews with those people. Yeah, that'd be good. I just thought of that. Because like some of them went on to release things and they're still releasing things. Some of them only released that one game because it was just like a cool experiment. Right. And then when I do other stuff, some are working at bigger studios now. So that'd be interesting. That'd be, uh, I know Ludum, the Ludum Dari website also showcases all the games that eventually became full products. Like Titan Souls was, yeah. was a Ludum Dari game originally. I think. Which one? Spelunky, I think. Yeah, maybe. I don't know if it was a Ludum Dari game, but it was definitely a like a jam. Bas- basic jam uh, game maker game. So looking at those two, just seeing like, okay, which ideas from a game jam are viable to, to make it to a full product would be an interesting yeah. thing too. All right. Cool. Well, Phil. Don't let me keep dragging you in. Oh, don't let me keep you. Um, <laughs> but thank you again. Uh, I'd love to have you on, in, on again if you ever want to talk about software efforts. Yeah, anytime. That'd be great. Sweet. All right, man. See you later. Bye.